Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombus donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> Hey there friends, I'm Nuclear Yuki, and welcome, once again, to a nuclear reading show. Today, we're continuing on with KCAT's Fallout Equestria, 
And also, if you're enjoying what I'm bringing to the cold, dark wasteland, don't be afraid to tell your friends about me. Or find me on Twitter as Nuclear Yuki. It's a big help. Oh, and also, as a bit of a disclaimer, since the gangs can be a bit feisty, Fallout is owned by Bethesda, and Hasbro made My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. With all that said and done, welcome, friends, to the Wasteland. Chapter 15 Whispers in the Darkness Rest Sleep came in fits and starts. I seriously, desperately needed rest. But every time I closed my eyes, fevered dreams of wasteland horrors dashed themselves against my mind's eye. I saw ponies loading into a passenger wagon, sky bandit stages. They were families on their way to a day of laughter and fun at a Ministry of Morale amusement park. Parents smiling warmly as their colts and fillies pranced in place with anticipation. I don't know why, but I was certain that MOM had built the amusement parks, and that they had been regularly packed full of screaming kids. I saw mothers urging their colts not to climb on the seats, fathers checking to make sure their cameras had film, and a great wall of green flame with a sinister rainbow sheen rushing towards them that somehow no pony could see. I saw a pony named Trixie leaving a message on the door to her cottage, grinning as she assured herself that her whole life was about to change. I saw her walking away from that door, which in the dream I had somehow become, even as I called out to her to come back, knowing that if she left, she would never live to see her little cottage again. I called, pleaded, cried, but she could not hear me and walked away. I saw ponies giving their loved ones the great news that they had been selected for a stable. I watched as they, bright and colourful living ponies, trotted into their new home, the clock on the wall above them counting down the minutes until an accident would doom them all to horror and death. I woke with a fit. I was laying somewhere, a bed, but every time I tried to remember exactly where I was or how I got there, the memories just slipped away. I opened my eyes. The room was dark, but light poured in through a cracked open door. I didn't recognise the walls with their shadowed posters, or the roof with its still and silent turret. My body felt wrong. I ached. I felt horribly weak. I had chills when I wasn't sweating profusely. My stomach turned. My mouth tasted strange and mushy. Shadows trotted near the door. I heard Calamity's voice. Do you think she went and picked up something in the stable? Velvet Remedy's voice, soft and clear, responded, Or it could be brought on by stress. I'm worried about her. I think the wasteland is getting to her. Y'all seem to be doing well, Calamity observed, his voice low as to not wake me. Velvet gave a wry, yet very feminine laugh. Not as well as you think, my noble outsider. Was that sarcasm or affection? I couldn't tell and trying to think about it made my thoughts swim. And I should do better than little Pip. I'm over a decade more mature than she is. Great. I'm a child to her. Beautiful. I'm a fucking filly. The same filly as the first time we met at some older filly's cutesignera. My life just couldn't get any better. And all those drugs she's taking, they're certainly not helping. My stomach convulsed violently. I wanted to cry. 
My eyelids were too heavy to look around any more, and I didn't fight them as they closed on their own. I turned away from the slice of light coming through the door, falling again into fitful sleep. Are you going to stay in here with her all night? Calamity's voice was a whisper, very close to my bed. I wasn't entirely sure that I was awake, much less at which point the tides of dreaming had deposited me on the shore of awareness. I vaguely recalled a change in the darkness, a fluctuation of light, perhaps the opening of a door? At least until her fever breaks. The whisper of Velvet Remedy's voice sounded from near my bed. My ears twitched. Is she awake? She's been in and out. She'll sleep better once the fever's broken. Wonderful. My body felt alien to me. My mind was a horrible, shifting haze. I sent a silent prayer to Celestia, begging her to take my sickness from me and cast it to the moon. I'm more worried about you, Calamity said, and not just because he needs to sleep too. Celestia, do you hate me? My sickness and misery was just giving them time to bond. My mind started tormenting me with images of how they might be spending their time together now that I was effectively out of the picture. Oh? My fevered braid insisted that she sounded pleased as well as oddly condescending. Your shield spell ain't anywhere near as strong as them. Calamity paused. Alicorns? Oh, guess we're calling them now. Was that disgust in Calamity's voice? No, not disgust, but something else. Something unpleasant. As if the word didn't taste good. Your point? If you're gonna be making a habit of using your body to shield other ponies, you need to start wearing armour. Calamity insisted. Yay, Calamity! I was gonna tell her that too, just never quite had the chance. My head was feeling heavy. Just listening seemed to take effort. My body was too hot, the blanket drenched in sweat, but my limbs were too heavy to move. Sleep was creeping over me like a manticore ready to pounce, wanting to drag me off into nightmares again. Won't get me into anything worn by one of those nasty raiders, Velvet was saying. I realised I'd missed part of the conversation. Wouldn't want you to. Slaver armour neither. Bad idea. Ask little Pip when she's out and about, Calamity whispered firmly. But when we get to Tempony, we're gonna buy her some proper duds for the equestrian wasteland. My despondency evaporated at those words. A strange sense of relief, twisted by illness, washed over me. Part of me, I realised, had been afraid that they would leave me. I felt doomed to wander until either I found my place in this hellish outside, or, or I fixed it. At least as much as I could. I supposed I was searching for my virtue, as Watcher had suggested. Like a filly trying to invoke her cutie mark. But Calamity and Velvet Remedy were not burdened by my quest, or my sense of being utterly lost. Why would they leave me on my own since they'd found some place to stay? Tempony Tower, for instance. Why shouldn't they? To hear them speaking of Velvet Remedy getting armour, something I firmly agreed with Calamity that she needed, even though I couldn't quite picture my elegant idol wearing anything other than classy dresses, to know that they were planning for a future wandering the equestrian wasteland, presumably with me filled my heart with assurance and hope. But despite the warmth of those feelings, as I drifted back to sleep, my mind began to venture again down dark paths. I found myself wondering what, if anything, could have been done to save all the ponies of Stable 29. With exposure to the surface fatal, 
and their water talisman dying. All I could see was hundreds of ponies trapped in a sarcophagus under the ground, already buried, wanting to die. But they did not, my mind insisted, need to die with such violence and horror. But the only way I could think of to save even one of them... No, that would have been too abhorrent to consider. The only way to save even one would have been to make sure the strain on the water talisman was so minimal that its deterioration would have taken several decades. Something that could only have been done if, instead of initially reducing the population by that minimal 0.02%, I cringed away from myself. I revolted that I could even think of such a thing. I awoke again hours later with a silent gasp, drenched and chilled with a cold that sank into my soul. My sense of what I had been dreaming collapsed into a dark pit that was swiftly sealed by wakefulness. Only a few shreds of memory remained. I was fairly certain it had something to do with the Ponyville Library. Dead cats, and being burned alive by a dragon. I found a canteen that had been hung by the side of my bed. I drank greedily from it, and then fell back into the horrors of sleep. No! Don't go! I'm trapped! I cried out, my hind legs crushed under a fallen wall. But Velvet Remedy and Calamity just walked away. Please! Don't leave me here! Velvet Remedy leaned her head against Calamity's mane and nuzzled. The ground was stretching between us. They were barely walking, but they were getting further away. The clouds were boiling down, becoming fog, surrounding and obscuring them as my heart threatened to seize. I knew that when they disappeared, I would die. I awoke crying and beat a hoof against my pillow. Despair tainted my hope, like a cupcake with ashes mixed into the batter. They were staying with me, but I was losing them to each other. My ears perked. There were no voices. Oh, Luna, I was alone. They'd left me. I still felt trapped. My head jerked up, looking around frantically. Grey daylight seeping between heavy curtains. Were they armoured mesh? Raised the ambient illumination in the room. Something heavy pressed against my side. Turning, I found Velvet Remedy asleep, her head having fallen onto the bed beside me, pinning me under the blankets. Relief was like a flood of painkiller, numbing the irrational fears of my night terrors which clung to me like leeches. I was happy for Velvet and Calamity. No, I, I really was. I was just... Lonely. Lonely and frustrated. I looked away from Velvet and found myself staring at a huge wall poster, garishly pink, advertising the Philadelphia Fun Farm Amusement Park. Everything the Grand Galloping Gala should have been. Endorses Piggy Pie. Every day, forever. Well, now I knew where that notion had come from. On the opposite wall was another copy of the recruitment poster. You too could be a steel ranger. I realised where I must be. Lifting my pit buck, I checked the auto map. Still Hooves Shack. I collapsed back onto the bed, feeling unbearably exhausted, physically and mentally. And even worse, I felt horny, which was not a sensation that mixed well with illness. Maybe it was having Velvet Remedy so close, her head pressing against my flank as she slept partially on my bed. My stomach twisted in warning. I didn't care. I was too hot, too sick. But still, as I lay back, I tried to summon up daydreams that would relieve at least one of my symptoms. My hooves beneath my blankets. I turned to face away from Velvet in shame. I contemplated candy, 
but her face and features were already faded in my mind, and the ending of my relationship with New Appaloosa would sour any fantasy. I considered the rainbow-maned mare from the memory orb, but no matter how well she had aged, she was still older than I wanted to fantasise about. And even if I pictured her younger, the link between her and Calamity would make it just weird. Finally, I settled on daydreaming about the mare from one of my statuettes, the breathtakingly alluring white unicorn pony with her dreamy purple mane and tail. I enjoyed that as much as my sickness adult body would allow, for maybe half an hour. Then, like a splash of cold water, I realised I was fantasising about what was Velvet Remedy's great-great-something-or-other-great-aunt. That murdered my fantasy, and danced cruelly on its corpse. The weight of Velvet Remedy's head was suddenly more present than before. I could feel the warmth radiating from her, and my stomach knotted with guilt. Suddenly, I felt a great heaving inside of me, and the taste of bile. Pushing to the edge of the bed, I vomited into the crevasse between the bed and the wall. Still retching, my mouth foul and burning, my eyes shedding tears, I heard Velvet Remedy stir awake. My fall was complete. Now, instead of being a child in her eyes, I'd be a vomit pony. I had no chance of stealing her away from Calamity now. Not that I ever did. Or ever would. I'm not that kind of jealous, selfish pony. But just saying, if I was that kind of pony, this would be the final nail in the coffin if any chance I had. I felt Velvet's weight lift from the bed as she pulled back from me. Oh, little Pip, are you okay? What a stupid question. Yet I nodded, my head pressed against the wall. Let me get you some water. I waited for her to go, crying just a little against the wall. My coat matted in sweat, my head burning against the wall. Goddess, I'm pathetic. Velvet Remedy returned to give me water, to clean the wall and floor of my vomit, to bathe me and replace the sheets on my bed. I was in no state to enjoy any of it but I could properly marvel that she took the time on some pony like me. My fever finally broke sometime that evening, and I finally slipped into a restorative, dreamless sleep. I awoke feeling like I hadn't felt in days. Sane. My body was weak but not feeble, and I was warm and thankfully rested. My mouth tasted pasty, but my stomach was settled, and I found I was quite thirsty. I rolled over in the bed, wondering how long I'd been half delirious, and spotted Velvet Remedy curled up on the floor, fast asleep. My heart went out to her, recognising how much I owed the older unicorn. Her head rested on an old jacket, and some pony had pulled a blanket over her while she slept. I was sure it was calamity, and I was pleased. As I floated the canteen from the bedpost, the resonating voice of Stillhues carried in from the other room. Sorry. But I just don't buy it. I don't get you. I heard Calamity respond. There was something in the tone of both ponies that caught my attention. My ears perked, and I drank quietly as I listened. Your group is like the beginning of a bad joke. Still who's elaborated? A covert agent. A princess descended from pre-war aristocracy. An outcast from an advanced civilization trot into a saloon and tried to tell ponies that they're completely normal. I nearly choked. Swiftly and without a sound, I plugged the canteen and rehung it on the bed. You think we're lying? Thank you, Calamity, for sounding offended. I think either you're lying to me, 
or they're lying to you. I heard a stomp that I assumed was from Calamity. What makes you think? Because I was conscious, if barely. I saw all of us down for the count. That Alicorn was at full strength, unimpaired, her magical shield shrugging off grenades. Then, a moment later, she was dead. The low voice gave a grave accounting of our meeting battle like a schoolteacher reading test scores. A single bullet hole right through the brain. You want me to believe that some innocent young man just weeks out of a stable did that? Do you even believe that? I didn't like how quiet Calamity was before saying, Yeah, I do. Cause that's what happened. An innocent young mare. Still who's repeated. Just out of a stable, with refined criminal skills that let her pick every lock and hack every computer. Even when no pony else in 200 years had managed the feat. I frowned, I had to admit. I'd wondered about the lack of other skilled lock pickers myself. But then... I also knew that I had honed my skill in precise telekinetic lockpicking over years as part of my attempt to conjure my cutie mark. My CAT proved that my natural talents were focused towards mundane and arcane sciences, and my studies as a pitbuck technician and the tools of the trade would give me the education to manipulate terminals that few outsiders would have. But most of all, I knew that I hadn't been anywhere near as good at either of those things when I'd left Stable 2 as I'd become since. I had been reading books and getting a lot of practice. Steelhooves continued. For that matter, a stable that's still in closed operation, it's hard enough to find a stable whose population survived. A dark cloud threatened my mind at that. Calamity's voice was low, perhaps a little dangerous. Are you suggesting they ain't from a stable? No, I'm sure they're from a stable. The voice was cool and even. I just find it more believable that they are highly trained agents on a mission. Perhaps from some place akin to a Ministry of Awesome Black Ops facility than Wide Dad Toys from a repository for civilian ponies. What? I thought Calamity said the Ministry of Awesome didn't actually do anything. Calamity nickered. That's... that's ridiculous. Really? Steelhooves asked. She survived a train jumping off a cliff. Ah, Carter! Steelhoofs paused, then seemed to concede that one. How did you meet her? My friend hesitated. Then, with a sad breath, I nearly killed her. She'd just come out of Ponyville when she'd cleared out an Estoraders, Calamity explained. She was covered in blood and wearing armor she'd scavenged from him, so I mistook her for a raider myself, swooped out of the sky and started shooting. I could hear the regret in his voice. I felt a pang in my heart for him, but also winced at his description. Even Calamity seemed to do a double-take at how that sounded, because after a pause, he quickly followed with, They were raiders, mind you. Raiders ain't that hard to kill. Then, seeming to remember the wagon crash, he amended, If you're at least a little lucky, and the terrain is on your side. I see. Steelhooves deadpanned. So she's not a secret agent death pony. She's just lucky. How about the other one? Vel her remedy? She's... Calamity chuckled. She's a civilian. She's a medic and a singer. How does that fit into your covert up stable theory? Any other talents? Does being the most beautiful pony I've ever met count? I could hear the smile in Calamity's voice. Other than that, no. I mean, well, 
She does have a freakish knack for getting what she wants. Bartering, I mean. And talking folks into stuff. When she's not being... Calamity, shut up. Good buck, Calamity. Don't finish that sentence. A direct descendant from one of the three founders of Stable Tech. The founder who, I believe, was Stable Tech's face of public relations. And also the sister of one of the eight most powerful figures in the pre-apocalyptic government. A descendant with skills in seduction, trade and diplomacy. Still he was intoned wryly. No, you're right. That does sound like a civilian pony. I groaned inside. How the hell did Steelhoofs manage to do that? I was beginning to doubt my story, and I'd lived it. I heard Calamity sigh. I hoped it was out of exasperation. Okay, let's pretend, just for a minute, that my companions have been lying to me through their teeth. Oh no, Calamity, please don't. We've been honest. I know it sounds bad when he says it like that, but... Well... The deep, masculine voice rumbled. They marched into the centre of a battle between raiders and slavers. Somehow got the heads of two factions to sit down in the short one's crosshairs, and then proceeded not only to eliminate the one they didn't like, but to kill the dragon running the show, assuring the one they wanted was in charge. Calamity interrupted. I dare say I had a mat to do with that myself. Steelhoofs continued, undissuaded. To me... That sounds a lot like a special unit rearranging local power structures to suit their purposes. Whatever those purposes might be. Goddesses, damn it! Is this what ponies are thinking? And I've been chagrined by my reputation when I was supposedly just a hero. This was insane! At least Calamity seemed to agree with me on that one. Right. Okay then, how about this? If Lil Pip was some sort of special black ops pony... How a tarnation could I have nearly killed her? Because underground training facilities aren't exactly the best to learn to fight aerial opponents. I doubt you'd be able to get the drop on her again. Calamity was fighting not to fall for it too. Bless him. Look, I've been with them. Y'all haven't. I know they're surprising, but if you get to know them... I'd say they're not spies at all. Still, his deep voice seemed on the verge of a chuckle. Aye, yep. Thank you, Calamity. Not a sly, sneaky hair in her manes, then. Not a one. Did you know that when Little Pip sleeps, she has a cute little snore? I do not snore. Oh, crap. Come again? I was just finished dressing myself, and was levitating my saddlebags into place when the pony in magically powered armour had stepped in and made his announcement. I will be accompanying you to Ten Pony Tower. After risking yourselves to save my life, escorting you safely to your destination is the least I can do. I wasn't sure how I felt about that. Steelhooves, however, put his hooves down. I insist. I frowned, looking about the room while I thought. The shack had three rooms. The bedroom, the main room, and workroom in the back. Upon seeing the whole of it, I realised that Steelhooves had given me his own bed to sleep upon and everybody else had slept on the floors save for me. It made me feel grateful and guilty. This was not the bedroom I'd spent the last several days in, but the main room of the shack, featuring a dinner table, rows of metal lockers, a desk with a glowing terminal, and a few scattered trophies as decorations. Above the desk was a banner, a half-apple with an inlay of three magical sparks ringed by gears, 
held by crescent-shaped wings and overlaid by a sword of war with a mouth-brace hilt. It was the same emblem that adorned the flank of Steelhoof's battle armour, right where his cutie mark would be hidden beneath. The Steel Rangers. I sighed. You'll have to ask the others, I said, clenching my saddlebags tight. I started to strap on the holsters and slinged for my weapons. I already spoke with them on this. They claimed you're their leader. Wait, why? I was really the least qualified to be in charge. Because the radio kept saying so. I added that to the list of things to talk to DJ Pwn3 about when we arrived to Tempoli Tower. I looked over to Velvet Remedy, but she was laying on the floor, her mind lost in the Fluttershy orb. In the back room, I could hear Calamity working on the weapons he had procured from Stable 29's armoury. Our pockets were now filled with common, low-calibre ammo that fit none of the weapons we preferred to use, and the Calamity was swapping parts and doing repairs on small pistols and low-powered rifles meant to use those bullets. Not that we expected to use them. Only the armoury's supply of shotgun shells was likely to be any of service to us. But both weapons and ammo would be valuable trade goods. A radio in the back room now played DJ Pwn3's radio station. The sounds of a quartet of ponies gave way to a melody of sorrow, fear and hope and the vocals of a pleasant-sounding buck who was at least 200 years dead. Strapping my sniper rifle into place, I finally looked to steel hooves, but my answer faded when I saw he was looking away. His gaze focused on a small picture in the corner of the room that I hadn't noticed before. The picture of an elder orange mare, her yellow mane salted with grey under her cowpony hat. He swayed slightly. I felt a gravity in the room that told me not to speak. I did move forward for a closer look, but I already knew that I had seen this mare before, many times. Her statuette was in my saddlebags, as was the memory of her at what had been Pinkie Pie's last party. I was certain now that the memory of Steelhooves was in that orb too. Beneath the picture was a display safe. Inside, perfectly preserved, was yet another statuette of the bucking orange pony. Be strong! In the glory of her youth. On top of the case was a small, silk-lined box, much like the one I'd found in Vinyl Scratcher's safe, within which sat a single memory orb. Steelhooves stirred again when the song ended, the last refrain echoing into nothingness. You knew her, didn't you? I asked softly, gently. Steelhooves turned towards me. How could I have? She died two centuries ago. I gazed at him, not judging, just knowing. He stood rigid against the gaze for several minutes, until finally I looked away. DJ Pwn3's voice erupted from the back room. God, your ears up, faithful listeners, because I've been talking and some of you ain't been listening. For years now, I've been reminding you that ghouls and zombies ain't the same thing. Ghouls are ponies who have had the misfortune of soaking up a major dose of magical radiation and just not dying. Their stuff twists and rots their bodies. But unlike zombies, their minds are still like those of any other pony, and they deserve to be treated as such. Well, some of you ponies up in Ten Pony Tower didn't get the message. And when Sheriff Rottingdale kept pressing for him and his ghouls to be allowed inside, just because they were sick of being hounded by manticles and slaughtered by bloodwings, Chief Grimstar, the head of Tempony Security, responded by hiring a bunch of mercenaries to scour the tenements along the Celestiad and wipe them all out. In an interview, when asked how he had managed to be such a supreme douchebag, Chief Grimstar had this to say. Another voice, gruff and irritated, came through the radio speakers. Fuck off! I did was right by those I swore to protect. DJ Pwn3's voice returned. 
just warms the heart to know their opponents steadfastly defending prejudice and bigotry, doesn't it? Thank you, Chief Grimstar, and may Celestia bless you with a kiss from the sun. The last word certainly sounded like it was said through gritted teeth. I shook my head. On one hoof, I actually felt relief to hear a news report that wasn't about me. But on the other, I had experiences with both ghoul ponies like Ditsy Doo and actual zombie ponies. I knew the difference. And the idea of some pony endorsing wholesale slaughter of innocent ghouls because they couldn't be bothered to discern between them made me hurt and tinged my vision with red. The deep, masculine voice of Steelhooves nickered from within his metal helmet. Not a fan of ghoul support as I take it. I looked at him in confusion that bordered on several darker emotions. My disgust had clearly been evident in either my face or body language. It hadn't occurred to me that my reaction could easily be misread as directed towards DJ Pwn3 himself. One of the wisest, kindest ponies I've met in this blasted hellscape is a ghoul pony. I spat at him. Her name is Ditsy Doo, and she's easily worth any three steel rangers put together. Not for fighting or fancy weapons, but for the quality of her character. I stomped a forehoof enough to sprain it. DJ Pwn3 is right. If you don't get that, then you have no place travelling with us. Steelhooves said nothing, but began to pack. I gazed at the leftover parts strewn across the workbench in Calamity's wake. Now that I had all the parts to build my poison dart gun, I should use this opportunity to put it together. Invoking my single magical ability, I started to clear away a space while simultaneously pulling the schematics out of my saddlebags. Marlin, little pip. Calamity trotted into the room. Good to see you back on your hooves. I smiled a little thinly, giving him a nod. The conversation from the night before still cast its shadow in my mind. I knew that what Calamity and the Steel Ranger had talked about, just how convincingly Steelhooves had woven doubts. Calamity knew I'd been eavesdropping, but neither of us had said anything. Looks like we got ourselves a new travelling companion. At least for a little while, Calamity said conversationally. What do you think of him? I shrugged. I still wasn't sure what to make of the Steel Ranger. I'd seen the shadows of both good and bad in him, but it was too soon to do anything more than hop, skip and jump to conclusions. From Calamity's cautious tone, I could tell he was having doubts about steel hooves. I'll admit, we could use the firepower, he offered graciously. Be damn useful having an explosive ordnance specialist like that in the saddle if we run into any more of them alicorns. I nodded, having begun to worry about the next time we encountered those creatures, if my suspicions were right. On the other hoof, Calamity started to say, then stopped as if questioning whether his opinion was worth voicing. I turned to look at him and lifted a hoof to wave him to go on. Well, let's just say that the Steel Rangers ain't exactly got a reputation as champions of the common pony. Ah, yes, reputations. The night's conversation loomed in my mind again. My eyes looked over Calamity, taking in the distance between us. I wondered if the gap was more than just physical. My memories pulled back the sheet on almost forgotten dreams of being trapped under a wall and watching my friends just walk away. Hey, little Pip, you okay? Clearly, I bore my worries like a cutie mark. I snorted at the dark humour of it. Some secret spy I'd be. Calamity clocked up next to me and put a hoof gently over my back. Now, don't you worry. Nothing said by that lad is going to sow seeds of distrust between us. I looked up at him, wide-eyed, smiled at me. I've seen your heart, little Pip. 
Y'all genuinely want to help folk, and you put your own life at risk to do so, even when some of them don't deserve it. I ain't gonna start questioning what I know about you, cause someone who don't know what is yapping on about can get it all twisted up. I could feel tears gathering in my eyes. I tossed my forelegs around the big, rust-coloured pony and hugged him for all I was worth. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You can look into it if you want. It was the first thing Steelhoofs had said to me since my outburst over an hour ago. Velvet Remedy was in the room looking over our provisions. Calamity was refilling our canteens from Steelhoofs' water purifier. I had finished my packing and had been staring aimlessly. My curious gaze had eventually fallen onto the memory orb, sitting enthroned under the picture of Applejack, mayor of the Ministry of... uh... I realised I didn't really know which Ministry of Luna's government Applejack had been in charge of. I just had enough clues to make a few educated guesses. Go ahead. Steelhoof's encouraged. It hasn't been viewed in a long, long time. Somebody else should remember. I regarded first the Steel Ranger, then the Orb. I had to wonder why any pony other than a unicorn would be keeping one, since only unicorns could access the memories stored within. It made no sense, I realised, unless that a pony was keeping it so that it could be shared, or safekeeping it. But even safekeeping it was just the same as throwing it away if no pony ever witnessed what was kept inside. I nodded, respectful of what I was being offered, then leaned forward, pointing my horn towards the sphere and touching it with my magic. My world fell away. I was harnessed to something. We were standing off stage, concealed in darkness by a heavy curtain. Applejack stood next to me, staring out at the dark stone stage. The podium with microphone and speakers, the mumbling throng of filling the auditorium in front of it, the huge brass MWT logo on the wall behind it. I, or at least the pony whose memory I was riding, only had eyes for her. She looked nervous, not to mention uncomfortable in her formal business dress. I can't do this. I felt myself speak, heard the words coming from my mouth. You'll be fine. The voice was deep and strong. Like steel hooves, but not nearly so gravelly. They hate me. Half of them have already been saddled, so I asked that of putting all the hooves into the ministry instead, just letting them do what they wanted. But bringing it to our last ponies? From her tone, that had apparently not gone over well at all. I wrapped a foreleg around her neck, allowing me to glimpse the apple green colour of my coat, and nuzzle her gently. A sensation that I found quite pleasant. 
And after today, they'll understand all of it. And they'll admire you for it. I, or more precisely, the pony I was riding, leaned close and whispered into her ear, Now, go on out there and make history, or I'll be forced to spank you. Oh, Goddess Celestia! The orange pony blushed and gave her encourager a look that I would have paid almost anything to have a mare give me. Later, lover boy. She smiled, at least more cheerful now, and strode out before the crowd. The pony I was riding watched her stride, his eyes straying repeatedly to her flanks, taking my gaze with his. As much as I couldn't blame him, it was making me feel distinctly uncomfortable. This was an odd memory to be sharing. Then I noticed that she had a holster strapped to one leg, mostly hidden beneath her formal attire. The ivory handle flashed three red apples as she walked. The reception was not the respectful and admiring silence which Fluttershy received, but Applejack stood up straight at the podium, cleared her throat, and spoke slowly and clearly. Now, listen up. I know y'all are being a bit sore about having ponies from the Ministry of Arcane Sciences working with us. I know y'all are dedicated to improving equestrian the Earth Pony way, and magic kind of flies in the face of all of that. But there are some things that are just too important to let stubborn pride get in the way of asking to help. Trust me, I know. And I want y'all to know how proud I am to be standing here today, able to finally show you the fruits of your labours. Most of y'all don't know what y'all been working on. It was important to keep things... The next word did not seem to come naturally to her. Compartmentalised. To keep this project out of zebra hooves. What y'all have accomplished in just one year? Ain't been a bunch of earth ponies do more good work in less time when we built Avalusa. Until this point, her words were undercut by resentful rumbles of whispered opinion. Now, her voice dropped into a tone both sombre and deadly serious. The ponies in the audience began to hush. Not for her, but out of reverence for what she spoke of. When I was young, my big brother, Big Macintosh, was always there for me. He was my closest kin, and he never let me down. When Equestrian needed him, he didn't let us down neither. He served heroically in our army fighting for our way of life for three years. And then, when we needed him most, he made the ultimate sacrifice. When that zebra bullet punched through my brother's armour and pierced his heart, it broke my heart too. I could see Applejack's eyes start to tear. Her voice trembled, but she pressed on. The room was now dead silent except for her. One year ago, we buried my brother, Big Macintosh. And that day, I swore an oath that no one other pony would die needlessly in battle. They're risking their lives out there for us. We owe them better. And now, starting today, we give them better. My memory escort started walking onto the stage. I felt the ropes trailing from me lift and pull taut, the harness digging into my flesh. I felt the resistance and heard the wheels of the wagon I was pulling begin to move. Ponies are the Ministry of Technology. I'll give y'all the Steel Ranger. Moments later, the memory collapsed, the last sight lingering in my mind as my own world reasserted itself. I glanced back at the display wagon and the magical power armour it was carrying. I looked to Steelhooves, sensing I now understood him far more than I had moments ago. The light grey of the clouds had descended, shrouding the landscape in fog. All around us, 
The rubble of blast-flattened and age-demolished buildings created shadows and obstacles. I regularly had to check my EFS compass just to make sure we were headed in the right direction. Even Calamity was grounded to avoid losing us. We were entering the outskirts of Manhattan now. I felt a pang of disappointment that I couldn't properly see the city. Calamity and Velvet Remedy had taken the lead. My frequent attention to my eyes forward sparkle was as much to spot hostile creatures as to navigate. Another red spot flared up in front of us and just off to the left. Calamity! Seven o'clock! Calamity nodded and crouched down, sneaking forward. The fog wrapped about him, concealing him from my vision. But my EFS compass marked his position. Velvet hung back a little, but kept him locked in her sight, her horn going faintly as she prepared to throw a shield around the orange-maned Pegasus in the black Desperado hat. A moment later, a single twin shot rang out. Calamity returned. Giant Redhog! One of the mutated pig-like creatures I had encountered under the train bridge. I do hope you're not planning to cook and eat that. Velvet Remedy intoned despairingly. I can't imagine all the meat you've been eating did you any good over the last few days. I shot her a look that she probably couldn't see and said nothing. You see, that's why y'all are a vegetarian. Calamity laughed. You ain't never had bacon. Trust me. If ponies were meant to eat only fruits, oats and grasses, then the existence of bacon would be the proof in the pie that the world is just cruel and evil. Oh, great. Now I had to try eating Radhog. A few moments later, we had a cook fire started and Calamity was explaining to me just which parts of a Radhog were the most delicious. Velvet Remedy had chosen to join Steelhooves in ignoring the two of us. Her silky voice sliced through the air as she told Steelhooves, Now... If we get into a battle, I do hope you have the good sense to let Calamity and Little Pip handle it. No offence. I really am thankful for you coming to our rescue. But I came closer to dying from all your explosions than from the Alicorns. I hadn't thought of it that way, but Velvet Remedy had a strong point. Steelhoof's weapons were all extremely... excessive. And while that was very good for fighting manticores or alicorns at a good distance... It could be lethal to every pony in close quarters or in closed spaces. I'd have to convince Steelhoof to keep himself in reserve until he was needed. I wasn't sure how that would go over with the Steel Ranger. Travelling with others and having to take precautions to keep his own companions alive was not, I suspected, something Steelhoof had had to require to deal with for a long time. It's an old song, Calamity was saying to Velvet Remedy as the two of them took the lead once again. If I sang a little bit of it, badly probably, could you magic up some music to go with it? Well, Velvet said uncertainly, I could certainly try. Then, with a reassuring smile, and your voice is quite good. If you took some singing lessons, you'd be very pleasant to listen to. I rolled my eyes. That's my Velvet. No, that's Calamity's Velvet, I reasserted to myself, and then wiped the whole thought clean. Velvet Remedy was Velvet's Velvet, and she would be like that until said otherwise. And even then, only as long as she allowed it. Calamity was going to be Velvet's Calamity, and I was not going to be a jealous third wing. Steelhoofs was bringing up the rear. I dropped back, choosing to engage him in discourse rather than dwell on the two ponies in front of me. Trying to strike a conversation, I told him I had a question about the memory I'd seen. What question? His voice suggested that there were many questions he suspected I might have, and that most of them were not really my business. 
The Ministry of Technology? Why MWT? When the Unseen Pony spoke, I could hear a touch of relief in his voice. Officially, it was the Ministry of Wartime Technologies, but Applejack hated that name. She was always the first to point out that the technological innovations that MWT championed and subsidised benefited all of Equestria, not just the war effort. I nodded, listening intently. It was a subject Steelhoos had some warmth for, but a small flash of green in the sky of us distracted my gaze. I looked up, but saw nothing. I turned to ask Steelhoofs if he had seen anything, but he was continuing to speak about Applejack's ministry. I doubted a skywagon crash would have diverted his attention. Under the Ministry's guidance and support, dozens of innovative technology industries blossomed across Equestria, and existing ones became a lot more powerful. Their products becoming part of every pony's daily life. Companies like Ironshod, Four Stars, Equestria Robotics, and even Stable Tech. He turned his helmeted gaze down towards my pit buck. So, why is a name focused on war? It should have been the Ministry of Technology. I heard music, not Velvet Remedy or Calamity. Patriotic gala music whispering out of the mist. I stopped, turning in place until the little blip of light appeared on my compass. Every pony, please hold up. I want to check something. Alone? Steelhoofs questioned. Uh, yes. I nodded. It's okay, I'll be right back. She do this a lot. I heard him ask my companions as I slipped off into the mist, following the sound. Do what? Calamity snickered. Wander off? Break travel to explore random ruins? All the time. I was approaching a building. Half of it was a huge barn with vast shattered windows. The other half loomed castle-like in the mist. My pit buck flashed a name across my EFS. Four stars ground terminal and central officers. The music cut out with a static-laced pop. Hello, Watcher. Hello, Little Pip. I see you've made a new friend. Maybe, I said, not committing either way. As if on cue, Steelhue's deep voice resonated throughout the mist. Little Pip, you okay? Wow, stealthy he was not. Hey. The mechanical voice of Watcher expressed. That voice sounds familiar. That didn't surprise me. Steelhoof's voice was very distinctive, and if Watcher had been snooping on the equestrian wasteland for any length of time, it may as well have spied on the Steel Rangers. Watcher. Now, there was somebody who deserved to be suspected for a covert ops spy pony. I looked around for the sprite bot, but the fog concealed it expertly. Instead, I spotted twin vending machines, Sparkle Cola and Sunrise Sarsaparilla, and a third set just a few yards down from them, Iron Shot's Ammo Emporium. The last had been torn apart and thoroughly looted. I felt a chill, imagining the kind of pre-war world where you could just buy ammo along with your soft drinks at a street-sided machine. No pony interaction necessary. Watcher, was there a Ministry of Awesome? It was just a leading question. Clearly, I already knew. Ah, uh, yes. Rainbow Dash. The disembodied artificial voice somehow managed to sound amused, even though it had no inflection at all. Yes. One of Equestria's heroes did decide that her ministry would be the Ministry of Awesome. They even built a ministry headquarters vote on Ministry Walk. I assume Calamity mentioned it. I nodded. Then, realising Watcher possibly couldn't see me any better than I could see the sprite bot, although it would truly surprise me if that was the case, I stated, Yes. Ministry Walk. 
I'd heard of that place before, but I couldn't quite put my hoof on where or when. After pondering it fruitlessly, I finally asked, What did the Ministry of Awesome do? I hated, loathed, questioning something Calamity had told me, especially based on something Steelhooves had said, even more so after Calamity had not done the same. Not much. Watcher said to my great sense of relief. I mean, Rainbow Dash did throw two or three projects their way. The Single Pony project was one of theirs, for example. But for the most part, they just lounged around and did nothing. After a few years, Luna ordered it crated up, and they began using the MAWHQ for storage. Another question came to me. I activated my Pitbuck's inventory arrangement spell and opened my saddlebags, then stopped, checking to make sure. Can you see me? Yes, little Pip. I can see you. Thought so. I floated out the two statuettes I'd found. What are these? Of course Watcher knew the answer. Limited edition ponies of harmony. There were some pretty nice little magical artefacts you have there. Only 42 were ever made. 42? I was expecting closer to six. Equestria's heroines. The six pony friends whose virtues match the elements of harmony. There were seven sets made. One for each of them, and the one that Luna kept for herself. The ponies mostly gave them to each other, although a few of the statuettes were passed on to loved ones or family members. That made sense. Sweetie Belle had her sisters. Applejack would have given one of herself to her buck friend, Applesnack. I wondered if the one I found in Old Appaloosa had originally been a gift for Brayburn. Ah, now I remember who your new friend looks like. The name Watcher told me made me glad I wasn't drinking Sparkle Cola again. Who was... I never got to finish my question. A crack of static replaced Watcher with the voice of Red Eye, who was in the middle of telling everyone that raiders, ghouls and hellhounds were bad. His voice faded as the sprite bot wandered aimlessly away from me until it was swallowed entirely by the mist. Four Stars was an elevated train company which had once provided public transportation for the Manhattan metropolis. Steelhoof suggested that, if the monorails were still intact, it would make the easiest route through the city, carrying us over the maze of rubble and away from most of the radiation-twisted aberrations and occasional raiders that lurked in the ruins. It sounded like a good plan, so I stopped at a still-illuminated sign mapping out the rails. This station was part of the Lunar Line. The Celestia Line, which crossed it at several points, led straight to Tenpony Tower. Calamity finished rummaging through the garbage bins, returning with a surprising collection of sellable items and a few dozen bottle caps. Velvet Remedy rolled her eyes. Well, I hope that's enough for you to buy a bath once we get to Tenpony. I looked across the waiting station, towards the heavy doors, into the more castle-like office structure. There were blackened panels that looked like turret emplacements which had been destroyed ages ago. Curiously, I trotted over the door and tried it. Locked. Well, that was just begging for me to open it. What are you doing? Steelhooves asked as he and the others joined me. I want to see what's inside, I said simply, focusing on the lock. This was a hard one. Four stars did not want to give up its secrets easily, which surely made me all the more intent on learning what those secrets were. I heard Calamity make a snicker that he clearly translated to, Told you so. The lock clicked. Triumphantly, I swung the door open. In an eye blink, I registered the expanse of the grey lobby, its semicircular desk fortified with sandbags and makeshift barricades. In that glimpse, I saw the scattered bodies of a dozen steel rangers, 
suits of magical power armor holding skeletal pony remains, and I saw the three scorched holes in the ceiling which had once held turrets. The remaining turret on the four stars' lobby ceiling swung around and opened fire. I was taken by surprise, but Velvet Remedy had been prepared. Her shield burst about me even as the air was filled with a ratatatata of machine gun fire. However, the shield gave no protection. The bullets ripped right through it, then through my armour and through me. My body tore apart in agony, dozens of things going horribly wrong inside of it all at once as six shots passed clean through me and buried themselves in the station floor's tiles. I barely heard the explosive roar of Steelhoof's grenade machine gun as I collapsed, sound and light fleeting from me. It was as if I was falling down a well. Through the distant ring above, I could see the ceiling detonating a mass of fireballs, then come raining down with a distant thunder, collapsing into the lobby below. I returned to the wasteland of the living, alert and in pain. Velvet Remedy was pouring another extra-strength restoration potion down my throat. I choked, gasping. Welcome back, little Pip. We came very close to losing you. Velvet's voice was stern with worry. What happened? Calamity's voice carried out from somewhere further into the rubble. I am a PSM Bullets. His voice sounded disbelieving and alarmed. Stop! ordered Steelhooves. I panicked wondering what I was doing that I could stop. But his exclamation was directed towards Calamity. I will not allow you to loot the bodies of fallen rangers. Hi. Calamity shot back. In case you didn't notice, they ain't using this stuff anymore. And the ammo that ridiculous badass saddle of yours throws around ain't cheap, and ain't the sort of stuff you find in raiders' ammo boxes or the desk drawers of office buildings. We need to scavenge it from wherever we can, whenever we can. Calamity quieted a moment then trotted in view with a missile in his mouth. Trust me, they ain't missing it. He spat out the missile into a pile he was collecting, shooting a glower at steel hooves. I looked to Velvet Remedy, who was prodding me to drink more. Right, from now on, sneak into buildings that might not be friendly. Steelhooves made his way back to me. I wondered how covert, super death pony-like I looked to him right now. My armour full of holes and covered in my own sticky blood. I would need to have it cleaned and mended when I got to Tempony Tower. Or maybe sooner. I was guessing I didn't look much better than I had coming out of Ponyville. You definitely got my attention. He said and turned towards the nearest dead ranger. Now, I want to know more about this building too. I nodded. Okay, let's split up. I considered keeping Velvet Remedy at my side, but realised it wasn't the best play. Steel hooves with me. Velvet, would you mind staying with Calamity? You two look into the rest of the floor in the basement. We'll check out the officers upstairs. Velvet smiled, and then fixed me with a harsh stare. Be careful. A lot more careful than this was. I promised. Attention all Four Stars employees. In conjunction with new safety and security protocols, all employees will be issued with a standard military-class firearm. This firearm is to be worn at all times while on company property. Failure to do so, or failure to keep your firearm well maintained and properly loaded, will be grounds for termination under Employee Uniform Policy 13-B. In the unlikely event of incursion onto Four Stars private property by government forces, all employees are required to defend Four Stars property and executive personnel. 
All employees are therefore required to attend at least one of the three four-star defensive and teamwork building weekend training programs this month. Failure to do so will be grounds for termination under employee attendance policy 6-F. Daisy May will be providing some of her lovely home-baked flour cookies for refreshments after the FSDTB exercises. Yum! I'd read the same message before. It was on each terminal I'd hacked into. I didn't make any more sense to me now than the first time. I looked over to Steelhooves, checking to make sure everything was alright, before I clicked onto the next one. I figured now was as good a time as any to ask. Steelhooves? Have you ever heard of someone named Flutterguy? Steelhooves whinnied. Why do you ask? Oh, I heard some pony say your voice sounded like Flutterguy. Steelhooves gave a little stomp. Heard that before. My ears perked. I figured it was a long shot at best, but Steelhooves would have knowledge about the pony watcher had mentioned. I opened my muzzle to ask, but he silenced me. It's just a joke. Oh, so much for insight. I turned back to the terminal messages. Evacuation policy. Employee version. We here at Four Stars value your commitment to the company. In the extremely unlikely event of a federal raid, or worse, a megaspell attack, it is every employee's duty to bodyguard key personnel and ensure the safe evacuation of all employees under following order. 1. The President of Four Stars and any shareholders on property. 2. Members of Executive Management. 3. Head Researchers. 4. The President's Secretary, Daisy May. 5. Members of Mid-Level Management. 6. Research Assistants with Red, Black or Gold Level Clearance. 7. Research Assistants with Orange or White Level Clearance. 8. Floor Supervisors. Once all of the above have been safely evacuated from the property, we encourage you to find your own safety. To ensure your protection, we are issuing a military-class armour-piercing ammunition to all employees above the supervisor level. I sat back from the terminal and promised myself that if I ever was somehow hurled back in time, I would never go to work here. There was a surprising amount of still-functional Arcana technology in this building, or at least there had been. Steel Hooves was not subtle, and every time he took out one of the security brain bots or spider-like guard bots, he did massive damage to everything nearby. Scavenging had been reduced to finding things inside metal desks or looting boxes of ammo. Fortunately, there were quite a few of each. Nobody had safely broken into this place in centuries, and the sheer number of ammo boxes alone could have supported a small army. Calamity had been right. Not one of those boxes included missiles or grenade ammo. But we had just about enough of everything else, including a lot of armour-piercing rounds, to last a good long time, with extra to sell. The prevalence of armour-piercing ammo had Steelhooves convinced this place had been fortifying specifically against the Steel Rangers. There was one more, and this one seemed a private message, not duplicated onto any other terminal yet. Re, Saturn. I hear that the Ministry of Morale got her. Charges of sedition. MOM agents broke into her house in the middle of the night last weekend and hauled her away. Management is throwing fits on the floor above me. They seem sure Saturn will say something, or worse, remember something. All I know is, I'm expecting armoured ministry goons to buck in the doors any day now. Fuck these appleseed shooters. I'm going to stop bringing my own gun from home. Steelhooves turned away 
protecting my flank as I snuck forward. I split my attention between the hall and my EFS compass as I scouted ahead, checking rooms, digging into desks and looking through bookshelves, until another splash of red lit up on my compass. Backtracking, I pointed steel hooves in the direction of the next hostile, then I lingered back in a side room, not wanting to be caught in the backwash that accompanied any attack he made in a narrow hallway. A robotic voice called out, This is private property, federal pigs! Surrender and be annihilated! It was immediately followed by the whoosh of a rocket. The hallway erupted in flame. To my surprise, I heard steel hooves hit the floor. Luna's shitting moon rocks! That was from the security robot! What kind of robot fires missiles? I pulled out my sniper rifle, loading armour-piercing bullets into it. Then, crouching low, I took a peek around the corner. The robot took up most of the hall, and looked like the mutant child of a steel ranger and a tank. Its forelegs ended in treaded balls that propelled it slowly down the corridor. I counted at least three weapons, including a missile launcher turret and a minigun set into a swivelling chest mount that could rotate 180 degrees around the robot's frame. My mind searched for an appropriate level of profanity, but came up blank as a newborn's flank. The thing was rolling towards steel hooves, who was moving, but down. The chest minigun swung towards the fallen ranger. I was quite certain it had armour-piercing ammunition of its own. Leaping around the corner, I swung the sniper rifle and stared down its scope. The minigun stopped pointing towards steel hooves and began to turn towards me as I slid into Sat's targeting Nirvana. The sniper rifle roared off three shots in quick succession. The first two bullets punched small holes in the head of the tank-like Sentinel, seeming to only slightly impair its targeting. The Sentinel's minigun tore up the wall, a single bullet tearing into my armour for a deeply grazing hit across my left flank. My third shot struck into the missile turret, which promptly exploded. The rockets had been designed to take out a steel ranger. They were just as effective in rendering the sentinel inert. My left hind leg feeling wobbly, fresh blood mixing with the matted, sticky mess of my coat. I hobbled over to steel hooves. His armour was administering healing potions and bolstering drugs. The armour's self-repair spell was consuming scrap metal from an armoured compartment over his right flank, rebuilding itself. I stopped a moment to marvel at what Applejack and her ministry had created. Will you be okay? I asked. Steelhooves nodded, stalwartly not moaning. Then I'll be right back. I want to know what that monster was guarding. The Sentinel robot had been guarding the office suite of the President of Four Stars. The desk was armoured, designed for use as a barricade, and there was a hidden panel in the wall. Well, it would have been hidden if it had been closed. The desk was locked. Picking it cost me a bobby pin and netted me what looked like a security pass card. I nickered at the irony, suspecting that the card would let us freely pass by all the robotic security we had to fight through to get here. Several locked boxes of ammo were hidden under the desk. As I opened the first, I found a half dozen matrix disruption grenades. I knew immediately that they were designed to disrupt the spell matrix of steel ranger armour rendering them helpless, just as the Alicorn's attack had done to steel hooves. But I couldn't help thinking how such grenades would also disrupt the more mundane technologies of most robots, including the one guarding this room. Magical shotgun of dragon slaying in the dragon's chamber indeed. It took me several tries to hack the computer, each time backing out before it could recognise the intrusion and lock me out completely. Evacuation policy, executive version. When Manhattan serves a megaspell event... Or worse, 
if the Ministry of Morale stages a raid on this property, all executive officers of Four Stars are to proceed to the basement stable in accordance with evacuation procedures ZS1A-5D, listed below. Please keep to your assigned personal routes. The Four Stars stable is guaranteed to keep you safely protected in the event of either catastrophe and has food, water and medical supplies to outlast even a complete megaspell event, nearly 12 whole weeks worth. The FSS also includes an armory, firing range to keep in practice, and plenty of reading material to keep you occupied. These include instruction manuals on how to acclimate yourself to the new exterior environment, once after effects of megaspell detonations have subsided, and proper etiquette for greeting our ruling zebra benefactors. Okie dokie lokey. Steel Rangers were not Ministry of Morale. Some pony had called in the big guns. And worse, the ponies in charge had been expecting it. What were they doing? According to the attached map, the hidden stairs would lead us right down to the basement. We should be able to meet up with Calamity and Velvet Remedy swiftly from there. I began picking the lock on the weapons cabinet. Like the terminal, I pushed the limits of my skills. I was tempted to use one of my party time mintels just to give me that extra edge, but before I gave up and did so, the cabinet opened. Inside was an armoured dress unlike any I'd seen before. Red and black with golden trim, perfectly preserved. I pulled it out and draped it over my back, thinking Velvet Remedy would look stunning in it. The armour also came with a helmet, but I was tempted to leave it. The flourish of red feathers atop almost screamed target. Also inside were several assault carbines of a peculiar and impressive design. One of them was scoped and fitted with a silencer. It had a custom-carved wood handle stained with strips of white and black. Been waiting for you, little pip. Calamity smiled at me as I joined him in the basement. He and Velvet Remedy stood before a door sealed with a terminal. Looking at the terminal, I was pleased to discover that it had a magic eye for scanning pass cards damn thing would be useful after all. I offered Velvet Remedy the outfit I'd found. She shunned the helmet as garish, but soon had Calamity helping her into the armoured dress. I turned my engine to the terminal, floating up the pass card. Where in hell did you find that? Steelhoo's voice boomed as he finally caught up with us. I turned to look at him as I telekinetically held the pass card in place. Steelhooves had stopped at the bottom of the stairs and was staring at Velvet Remedy. Little Pip found it in a locker upstairs. Velvet Remedy answered, prancing. How do you think it looks on me? Beautiful, answered Calamity with a breath. The red and gold matches the streaks in your mane and tail. Then, with a sheepish grin, and I've never seen anything like it, which means no pony will mistake you for a raider or slaver and accidentally shoot you. Terminal's magic eye looked over the pass card and beeped happily. Welcome, Mrs. President. Inner mechanics began to hiss and grind as the door began to open. This wasn't anything as sophisticated as a stable tech door, but it was certainly a few grades above anything I'd seen in the wasteland. I might shoot her. Steelhooves grumbled. We all shot him perplexed and nasty looks. That, he explained, is a zebra legionnaire's uniform. Calamity whistled. Velvet Remedy suddenly looked uncomfortable. I turned away choosing to look instead into the darkness of the open mini-stable in front of me. Gleaming in the darkness, the eyes of at least a dozen zombie ponies stared back at me. Then I did a double take. Zombies, yes, but not ponies. (laughs) 
Footnote. Level up. New perk. Action filly. Level one. You know your targeting spell like the back of your hoof, making you about 20% cooler in combat. For each level of this perk, you gain plus 15 action points in sats. Steel hooves, steel hooves, steel hooves. What a mysterious one that is. Something he's not letting the group into. What the hell is up as full stars? I mean, on my adventures as I got to know them well enough to know that they were just some bad eggs. No matter. I'll let little Pip find that out for herself. Oh, and you, of course. Um... Ah, here's the Broken Wing Blues from the Wasteland Whalers. Enjoy, people! Well, I bit the bullet I drunk a dry My heart is spilling Over the sides Of a tall glass of whiskey That's killing pain My wings were broken All feathers and flame Hot pump and black and blue down the pit I ain't been here since Zephyr came and went They told me I would fly They told me I would fly Telling guys But that My mind's full this danger who but it ain't your heart broken hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing I love that luxury quality within reach go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order quince.com slash style <laughs> 